the internet, what's up and welcome to a new episode of The Light. I'm Scott Pearson and as always I'm joined by the hilarious Detron Edwards and the infamous John L. What's up fellas, what's going on? What's up, what's up, what's up? Hello? Hello? Is this thing on? Hello? Y'all, listen, the border gave me the mic and told me to hold on here to run somewhere. But y'all hold on. I'm, I'm talking to somebody right now. Listen, when I let you borrow a dollar, you give me a dollar and eight cents back. It's tax on that, boy. You, you said you wanted to talk, huh? Oh. I want a, I want a court back. Oh. What, what you talking about? You, you, hold on now. Wait a minute now. You, we, you get, listen, hell, hell no. Hell no. You did, now, hold on. Wait a minute now. How does thing work here? This boy got me... Holding on this thing here, and I I don't know Wait. who who on there. Is this some young thug on there? Young thug? Is that that's who it is on the other end? Young thug? We looking for Dead where, where, Where's Dead at? Are you Dead's grandfather? What's, I, what's, who's this? I mean, what's up? Who is who is this guy? I'm, I'm Uncle Demon. Oh. They, they call me Demon because you know you know the Demon with a W. It's <laughs> W is for oh, warrior. Man. That's I've been oh, yeah, I'm man. a warrior, but. Uh, you know, they, the boy told me to tell y'all to hold on. He'd be here in a minute, but he said it might be some young thug on here. I want to know what the hell is a young thug. What's a young thug? Hey, John, hey John, tell him, tell him who young thug is, man. I have no idea Good. because that type of music doesn't permeate my ears. Good, because I have no well, idea I, either. I saw pictures of the boy. The boy looked confused. It's not a young thug. It's young thug. <laughs> <laughs> something is wrong with the boy. He's sitting up there. In one moment, he he trying to do the crip walk. The next thing you know, it turned into the nene. Mm. I don't know what is wrong with the boy. Mm. He's he got braids in his hair, jeans tight, hat, and a dress. The boy wears a dress sometimes. How do you, you know, is that easy access to piss? You sit down. When you pee, what, 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 is, what is wrong with the boy? I, you know, next thing you know, he's going to be wearing makeup and finger up on If you, listen, you know, I don't have, you know, it, gay is gay. It, it, not, not that there's anything wrong with that. But, you know, if you if you sit up there and you're going to tell somebody that you're gay, tell them. Don't sit up there and hold it back. And if you're going to sit up there and try and be gay on the down low, that's wrong. <laughs> Tell people, be represent yourself, boy. Like like the man said, say it with your chest. Uh, you don't sit up there and try and hold it back. Grandpa. This boy out here trying to rap about dog stuff, and he out there dancing in the skirt. He twerking. Oh my what is goodness. wrong with oh you, boy? Hey John. hey, John, I'm tripping because Grandpa knows more about Young Thug than we do. I know, yeah. I know. What's up with that? Because I like to watch I, I, the booty videos. I take my Viagra. <laughs> <laughs> I sit there and watch the booty video with my, my crown dress. Y'all don't understand that. You know, my, my, my grandson asked me the other day, you know, he's in his 20s. He, you know, he can talk to Grandpa the way he wants. He said, hey, uh, Grand, Grandpa, he said, uh, do you still get hard on? I told him, I said, hey, ask your grandma. <laughs> mm. I'm talking about that Viagra, boy, that blue pill is something else. Mm. Back to this young thuggy, or whatever the hell his name is, the boy, you know, the, the you know half man half half whatever it's just you know I, I like I said I have no problem with the people you know being that way but the boy something he's confused mm. and his music is terrible it's terrible it's not terrible it's terrible well that's the kind of stuff is this oh lord you just take that you take that break that CD and you dump it in the garbage and then you put dog doodle on it <laughs> that's dog dookie well thank you for telling us because. Thank you for telling me. I haven't hold heard. Hold on, hold on, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute now. Wait, here, here, the boy can ready to come back. Hold oh, on, oh, hold on. Oh, hey, wait a minute. My bad. You got my money, boy. <laughs> I, listen, I done told you. Oh, you went down, you probably over there smoking them drugs. 
and you don't want to sit up there and tell them. Uh, uh, hell no. Nah. Who, who slapped my number? Somebody, oh, I'll be right back. Be right. Right. Here you go. Y'all enjoy your day. All right. Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's going on? Yeah. It's, uh, it's been in the, <laughs> in the building. Dead. All right, Grandpa. All right. <laughs> hey, hey, you didn't tell us that Grandpa was... Was was was, right. was 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 on it like that. I mean, he's 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 definitely hip hop. What's up with that? I told you, man. Hip hop is your soul, man. You know, people people have that in their life. But, you know, it, it transcends ages. You gotta be in the hip hop. I mean, how old is uh, Curtis Blow? He's like in his sixties, seventies, right? Damn, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, right, he's right, still right. playing hip hop. Yeah, right. You know, look at look at uh, Red Alert. Red Alert's all grayed out. You look like a Q-tip, but mm. he, he, he's still in hip hop. <laughs> so it is what it is. We definitely got to have Grandpa I back. I mean, Red Alert. Red Alert is that dude that if he stuck his head out of a closet, he'd scare the hell out of you. Like, oh, God, put the... <laughs> it's Poltergeist. Poltergeist. <laughs> yeah, I watch the door. That's the door. Y'all don't stick your face out the closet. Y'all ain't gonna walk upon hey. nobody like that. Y'all... Yeah, get that shot. Get that shot. <laughs> we definitely got to have him back, though. He's more knowledgeable about hip-hop than we are. A little yeah, bit, a little yeah. bit. It's, I got a lot of family that could probably show up now and then, you know. <laughs> Things happen where they just come around me. Hey, we you know, Grandpa got here 3 o'clock in the morning drinking. He ain't left yet. He's still been drinking. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, on oh, your wow. phone. It's, on your phone. Yeah, yeah right. So, <laughs> as he says, it's, it's the W is for warrior. <laughs> 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 but listen, check it out, check it out, check it out. Hey, last week's episode was a little bananas, you know what I'm saying, on the strength that we had some unusual responses to our topic. I mean, the impact of commercial hip-hop, it kind of ruffled some feathers, you know. Based on feedback from the Light Podcast Facebook page, there still are those that are convinced, you know, despite what it is that we said, that hip-hop just doesn't exist in its current form or the way we used to know it. I think maybe it was that Big L, Jay-Z freestyle that might have had, you know, something to do with it. But for sure, the Public Enemy review that we did kicked up some dust and made some people remember. What do you think? Like I said before, you know, hip-hop definitely is not dead. Mm -hmm. So for those who feel as though hip-hop is dead, like I said, they're looking in the wrong places. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're expecting hip-hop to always look the way hip-hop looked in the 80s, mm -hmm. the way it looked in the 90s or the early 2000s, you're not going to find that brand of hip-hop anymore. Mm -hmm. But are you looking for the true hip-hop, the true lyricist, the true individual who's speaking with authenticity about his or her experience? That's all over the globe. Right. You know, bottom line, they, they said that uh, when we had a conversation about it, he said they always said rock and roll was dead. Rock and roll wasn't dead, it just transformed. It changed. Right. It evolved with the time. And it didn't, It became uh, it became glam rock where they went from, you know, just regular rock and roll to, you know, just rock mm -hmm. to glam rock where they had the big poofy hair. And then it became grunge rock is when you had uh, Kurt Cobain come out and he took Bonner. it to a different level. And now, all you have is just, you know, you have pop, pop. I mean, and you don't, you really hear rock, but you don't hear rock like it used to be. There's really no, no name for it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, country used to be blues. You right. can't sit up there and say the country wasn't blues. It was, they learned from the slaves and they took that right. music from right. them and they turned it into country. Mm -hmm. And it's still R&B and, you know, R&B rhythm and blues. 
because now they took the blues and they they put better music to it and they made it R&B. So you still have the blues in there, but you just have the rhythm to it now. Everything. So hip hop always evolves. He said it's just never it never died. It's just music that evolved. Hip hop is just a constant evolving thing. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, admittedly, you know, I'm a grumpy hip hop purist. Every time I hear something, you know what I mean, I'm comparing it with what I'm comfortable with. For example, to me, the standard is the low-end theory. Check the rhyme. That's the standard for me. When I hear a song, subconsciously, I'm comparing it to that, and that's not fair. That's not fair, you know what I mean? I mean, hip-hop, it, it encourages, like what you said, it encourages evolving. It encourages creativity. It's not fair to compare, like, you know, a new artist coming out in 2015 with a, with a supreme classic like that. So I definitely agree with you there. Yeah, most definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, for those that feel, oh, there's no real hip-hop out there, what are you doing to support real hip-hop? What are you doing to push real hip-hop yourself? Mm-hmm. Get out there, See, that's the other question. find the real hip-hop, mm-hmm. and push it yourself. Make sure that those that come behind you, since you know what real hip-hop is, make sure those that come behind you know what real hip-hop is. Right. So, you know, mm-hmm. don't just say there's no more hip-hop out there. I'm not listening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, be like, Craig, what you got on my 40? And keep it moving. Nah, you sit up there and say, yo, let me push some hip-hop to you, too. Let me show you what it really is. Let me let me right. take this back to boom back. Let me show you what hip-hop is. Not right? the boom back thing. Yeah, and I, and I think I'm with you, Scott. And every time I hear somebody new, I'm always comparing them to the KRS-1s. Are they a real lyricist? That's, yeah. That is my first litmus test. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Are they a real lyricist? And then from there, I start comparing them to different artists, you know what I'm saying? I'm saying because at the end of the day, everyone's trying to find that lightning in the bottle based off of what was already created. Mm-hmm. So if that's the case, then I think it is. I think it's very genuine to sit there and say, okay, well, this person doesn't sound like you know somebody from back in the day, but at least they have this. You follow what I'm saying? At least yeah. they, at least they're a good storyteller, or at least they're this. But if you can't touch on any of those elements, then I'm turning you off. It's, 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 it's just that simple. If you don't have the authenticity, if, you don't, if you're not able to tell a story, if you're not a great lyricist, I'm not even getting to your beat because guess what? I can rock your beat without your voice. You understand what I'm saying? That's right. called the instrumental. Right. So, so you and your beat stands alone. I remember when, uh, you know, not to keep belaboring the Jay-Z thing, but I remember when he first came out, everybody was on the fact that his voice sucked. You know what I mean? His his voice didn't sound like it would match the tracks and things of that nature. And I was just thinking back then, heck, his voice doesn't it doesn't need to match the track. Right. If what he's saying is is authentic, if he's painting that picture and he's being real in his lyrics, trust me, the voice and the tracks don't. I mean, because at the end of the day, there are some of these artists, you know, especially on the hip. Now, if he's R&B. Yeah, your voice got to match the track. You got to be able to, your voice got to become an, an instrument just right along with the piano and the drums and so on and so forth. But if you're if you're a hip-hop artist, your voice can sound like Busta Rhymes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Who's another cat who did very well in the game, mm-hmm. who had a very distinguished voice. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That a lot of people didn't think that his voice was going to be able to sustain his career in hip-hop and when you look at, you know, leaders of the new school and those guys, he was the one that had the longest career. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. So as long as you can be authentic through your message, and I keep saying that because I think 
for a lot of the people who like hip-hop especially people who have listened to a wide dearth of hip-hop at least from like the mid 80s till now i mean it's hard to say that i'm not trying to you know to besmirch anybody because of their age but it's hard to say, you know, somebody, you know, who started listening to hip hop in 95, mm -hmm. if they have a true understanding of the history of hip hop to really give a strong appreciation to where hip hop is supposed to be. Now you have the Kendrick Lamars and you know what I mean? The different cats out there right now who uh, I'm quite certain that at some point they reached back to the golden era of hip hop and did a little bit of studying mm -hmm. prior to putting themselves out there because they had to because when you hear their lyrics it reminds me of that golden age of right. hip-hop you follow what i'm saying absolutely absolutely i mean anytime in my opinion anytime i hear a discussion about the state of hip-hop and about you know what i'm saying like artists that are doing it right now of course kendrick lamar comes up in that conversation you got sky zoo you got joey badass and things of that nature but my question is this, I mean, do you think, you know, artists like Joey Badass and like Kendrick and Skies, do you think those guys, first of all, do you agree with me? I do agree. Joey Badass stands out to me as one of those guys that's going to, you know, launch himself to be the next great superstar. I mean, I think that's a young kid that gets it. You know, Sky Zoo, he's been doing it for a long time. Obviously, Kendrick. But why is it that these guys aren't getting the same type of response as like, you know, the Fetty Waps? and you know the young thugs and things of that nature why is that though because they have something to say when you talk about the record industry mm -hmm. they want the lowest hanging fruit possible mm -hmm. so with that they want you to do the you know hit the quan and this that and the other because all they want is max record sales right now mm -hmm. you know what i mean when you think back to reasonable doubt and i got and i'll look up what bum rest the show did when it first dropped when you think back to Reasonable Doubt doing only 420,000 in this first year, I mean, come on, man. Those are, that's like one in every 30 people, you know, 50 people who may listen to hip hop right. purchasing that CD. Mm -hmm. But you look later on, once, you know, everybody starts to understand Jay-Z's message and everyone caught up to him, then that, that particular album got re-released, ended up going platinum, you know what I'm saying? Because people caught up to him. Mm -hmm. I think the same thing is going to be true for what you're saying right now with respect to um, Joey Badass and, you know, and Kendrick. And why aren't they getting the same stuff like, you know, the, all these other little popcorn rappers and these gimmick rappers, as I like to call them, mm -hmm. are out there getting. And it's because the industry is pushing that gimmick rapper. It's, and because they know the industry is not stupid. No, okay. Not. They understand. They understand that the rapper of substance is going to be around because the core hip hop fan is going to keep supporting them. Mm -hmm. They understand that. They also understand, conversely, that the gimmick rapper has a has a very limited shelf life. So we got to pump him hard. You understand what I'm saying? It's it's mm -hmm. because the gimmick is fleeting. What's a gimmick today is not a gimmick tomorrow. Right. But what's substance today is still substance tomorrow. Good point. Good point. Let me ask you in debt now. Is 50 a gimmick rapper? Yes. 100% unequivocally yes. I agree. They told you 50 was a gimmick rapper from the very first freaking video Eminem and Dre did with him. Mm -hmm. What did they say? They made him in a lab. They got him in the lab, hooking him all up. 
you know what I mean? Testing him out, you know, just like Drago from Rocky. That's what, when I saw that video, that's the first picture I got in my mind was, you know, Rocky training, cutting trees, running through the snow, lifting hay bales and all that crap out there in Russia. And then you got Drago inside of the freaking nice Olympic like training facility. They're measuring pulse rates and breathing rates and all this other nonsense. But look who won in the end. Again, stuff substance over style. What was 50's last song that you that you heard him release? I remember his first song. <laughs> yeah, his first. And that's about it. But what about I remember that. What about his last one? I, I, I have no idea. I couldn't even. I ain't checking for 50, so I couldn't even tell you. That, what about you? 50's last song. What was it? Wow. See. Um, I don't know either. It was, uh, I got no idea. No, not, I, it's not that I don't know the song. I've listened to it because he's on uh, on power. Mm-hmm. So a lot of his stuff plays on power. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I really heard, I don't remember his last song. Really, the, the first album was the one that you remember the most. And that was from mm-hmm. uh, when she walked across that stage. You was like, whoa, look, at she got a unit. She, <laughs> look at what she got behind her. A beautiful future. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I looked at that, but mm-mm. nah, I don't, there's nothing else. Interesting. I liked one of his lines from when he came out originally, and he was like, I love you like a fat kid loves cake. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. thought that was very clever, you know what I mean? And I I appreciate it, you know what I mean? I gave him an ear when he first came out because I was like, okay, here's, here's somebody a little new, somebody a little different. Let me let me go ahead and check for him. You know, he had Dre behind him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Dre typically, you know, Dre typically gonna put somebody hot, you know what I mean? But then fizzle fizzle, pop pop, gone. Yep. Damn, I remember that song. 21 questions. I actually like that song. Alright, so so this week we're gonna continue that discussion and give you a part two because you know it's like I said before, it seems to have ruffled quite a bit of feathers. Um, while also completing the review of P.E.'s debut, Yo, Bum Rush the Show. You're listening to The Light Podcast, and you can always reach us on Twitter at The Light Podcast or our Facebook page. Just search for The Light Podcast and drop us a message. We always respond and show love. Uh, Det and John, you want to give them a Twitter, or are you guys still working on incognito mode? <laughs> at Hostile Comedy on Twitter. Uh, you can get at me on Facebook, Tetron Edwards. So get at me. And uh, this is John L. And of course, my uh, Twitter is at John, the letter L, the letter S, the letter I, the letter V. And my Instagram is uh, the same thing, at John L S I V. And my Facebook is John L, last name Smithson. So please, uh, I've been getting a lot of response. Um, like Scott was just uh, saying, I had to take my uh, Twitter page from private to public a little bit <laughs> because I wasn't really tweeting before I wasn't checking on Twitter. But uh, just from these last couple shows, my social media accounts have been, have been uh, growing exponentially, needless to say, and I'm enjoying it. Um, you know, a lot of comments, you know, a few suggestions, but the biggest thing is people are listening, people are sharing, people are downloading, people are streaming. So therefore, we are touching the conscience of a lot of people out there, and we want that to continue. Looking forward to uh, hearing from more of you uh, viewers out there. No doubt. And hit us up. Like I said, we always respond. We love interacting with our listeners. You guys give us some really good ideas, and we appreciate the love and energy. That being said, let's keep the energy going. Let's give you some history and some knowledge for your brains.
Okay. As always, we give you black history from this time, some time ago. Could be a couple years ago, could be way back when, but we'll give you black history because I like to keep the people informed on what history really was. 1941, activist Reverend Jesse Jackson was born on this day in Greenville, South Carolina, October 8th, 1941. A lot of people see Jesse Jackson as possibly a sellout or possibly, you know, Uncle Tom. I've heard even about this man, but you know what? Without a lot of people like Jesse Jackson, there wouldn't have been any Chuck D's. There wouldn't have been a lot of people out here that are activists out here that uh, have kept the race progressing in the right direction. So to call him Uncle Tom or call him a sellout to me is almost like sacrilegious because what I see is you have people out here that use those names to tear down, to degrade another African-American man by calling him a coon or buffoon. And you know what? Those that use these words to me to call another man, another African-American man or another black man a coon or buffoon or you're out here Uncle Tom and you yourself are making yourself look like one of those people because Massa set us against each other back in the days. And I'll never call him master, Massa, because you weren't a master of my faith but uh, or my, my direction, but Massa set us against each other back in the days with buck fighting and all this other stuff, pitting the dark-skinned person further away from the house and the light-skinned person closer to the house and calling you a house in and all this other stuff. And they pit us against each other by, you know, creating this turmoil. And you continue to this day to create this turmoil and racism against just your own kind within the race by calling them Uncle Tom's uh, sellouts and, you know, cooning and buffoonery. So understand, before you sit up there and you say something like that about another black man, think about it without people like Jesse Jackson fighting for us in the beginning, taking a different stance rather than the violent stance that some of you want to take nowadays, it wouldn't have been any of us being able to do what we have to do. So like I said, October 8th, 1941, on this date, Jesse Jackson was born Greenville, South Carolina. Now on to today in hip hop news, which I find this uh, very poetic being that we're doing uh, Public Enemy. On this date, actually not this date, on October 3rd, 1991, Public Enemy released their fourth studio album, Apocalypse 91, The Enemy Strikes Back. This was a poetic album to me to say, hey, listen, you tried to keep us down, but hey, you can't hold us back. So as they said at the bottom of their album, injustice is defeated. Justice evolves only after injustice is defeated. Justice evolved. So this date, October 3rd, 1991, Public Enemy releases Apocalypse 1991, The Enemy Strikes Back. Loves it, Chuck. Thank Well, 
All right, gentlemen, here we go. We're going to finish up the review of Yo Bone Rush, the show. But first, let me ask you guys something. Um, I've gotten, you know, on the uh, on, on the uh, Facebook page, we've got a lot of good response back from the review of Public Enemy. And again, we anticipated that. But I also got some links to a lot of other shows out there. And some of these guys are getting right down to it. I mean, they're knocking out reviews in like 20 minutes. You know, we got three-hour shows on tape. I mean, what do you guys think? You think we're talking too much or you think we're getting in too deep or you guys good with how we're doing things? Are there some songs, some albums that we can definitely do in 20 minutes? Definitely. Right. But when you come when you come to something with such significance to the art form, like uh, P.E.'s Bum Rush to Show, mm. like a Jay-Z, like a Nas, mm. you can't do that in 20 minutes. Nah, I agree. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, you have minute rice and you have regular rice. Mm. <laughs> We're not minute rice over here. Nah. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. We are the real deal, period. No, I agree 100%. I mean... You know, records like this, you know, albums like, like Yo Bum Rush the Show, it drums up all kinds of, of social commentary. And I think we definitely give it, you know, the love and the time that it deserves. So, perfect segue. Track number six, Right Starter, Message to a Black Man. To me, this is the ultimate, you know, wake-up record. I go back to that, that movie, uh, Debt talked about it a couple episodes ago, School Days by Spike Lee. That famous scene at the end, Sam Jackson on the mic, wake up. This, for me, this record right here, this is Wake Up. This is Wake Up, people. Wake Up. No doubt. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, from from the very beginning, right. the title of the song, Message to a Black Man. That's what it was for. I mean, you, yeah, I mean, you can't get any more plain mm-hmm. than that. And as we have said before, P.E. wasn't, you know, really, really deep into the double and triple entendres. You know what I mean? They were laying that game out quite flat. Right. And as you see, you know what I mean, just just in the you know first part of the stanza, or the hook, excuse me, mind over matter, mouth in motion, can't deny, cause I'll never be quiet. Let's start this right. Yeah, man. Period. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mind over matter. And when I was in the Marine Corps, that's what they used to teach us. Mm-hmm. You know, people say that a lot of Marines are crazy, and I have to retort and say, no, Marines are convinced that we're the best mm-hmm. because that's one of the mantras that we follow. Mm-hmm. Mind over matter. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter. Mouth in motion. That means he's talking about his reality. Right. He's he's making you listen to what's going on. Right. You know, and you can't deny it because he'll never be quiet. Mm. Chuck was supremely conscious, just like KRS. Chuck was awake. You know what I'm saying? Chuck, Chuck was awake, you know, and he went in and talked about his reality on every single track. Not just this album, but, it, but every P.E. album that you got, you got Chuck 100 miles an hour in your face smacking you every single line. Wake up. No exactly. doubt, man. I mean, I, I, feel, I feel his uh, his second, uh, the second, well, the, the verse after what you just stated pretty much relates to me because you know, some of the, the stuff I've dealt with in when I was in corporate America and someone once said it on a, uh, on a black show on HBO and they said it there and said, America views a lot of black men angry mm-hmm. in America. Mm-hmm. I could paint a whole room of smiley faces and somebody will still come in and say, well, why is he so angry? And the way I looked at it is just like, 
what his, his next verses were. Like, some people fear me when I walk this way. Some people come near me. Some people run away. Some people take heed to every word I say. Some build a posse. Some stay away. You know, that's the way I looked at corporate America or looked at people that viewed me back then. Because I'm going to tell you now, I wasn't the angry dude I was when I was in my 20s. Mm-hmm. But when I'm in my 30s and you're looking at me like, oh, well, you know, did you hear what he said? Or this guy could say hello in the morning by noon. Say, oh, he was angry when he came in. Did you hear the way he said hello? Or do you see the way they walk? I remember, like, I think I said it in the, uh, the original interview. I remember uh, when I was in law enforcement. I can sit up there and honestly say, hearing a call from a resident in an area where I took the call, and he tells me, yeah, uh, these kids look suspicious. And I said, why do they look suspicious, sir? He said, well, because they're walking down the street, it's about two or three of them, and they have that urban wear on. I said, what's urban wear? And he sat up there and he said, you know, that kind of stuff the black kids wear. Mm. So, you know, it's about dressing, walking, and the way you look, and... It doesn't matter if you have a smile on your face. They still kind of look at you like, hey, you know, he's, he's just, it's concerning because he's sitting up here. He's, you know, he's saying something behind that smile. What's wrong with him? Why is he acting this way? He's, you know, he's standoffish. Or as, as I told a joke one time on stage, my, uh, the director at the time, she stated, she said, he's, you know, I feel he, uh, he alienates himself from the rest of the department. As I was in marketing at the, I can't say the company, but <laughs> she sat up there and said that he, it seems like he alienates himself from the rest of the department or the, you know, the company. And I sat up there and I said, you know, that's not alienating yourself. I said, it's 108 people in the department. Three of them are black. The rest are white. That's not alienating yourself. That's being cautious. That's <laughs> just sitting up there knowing, listen, keep your mouth shut, stay to yourself, and you can keep this job to support your family a while longer. You know, so that right there, those lines, some people fear me, you know, all that stuff, and then some people think that we plan to fail, wonder why we go under or go to jail. Oh, you know, it's, 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 it's like that for me. I feel that. Right. I feel everything he said in that line. Yeah, I like. I got you. I really like this record. That you know, I mean, and this album here, the discussions that we've been having. That's why we had to break this out into two episodes. The discussion that we have, and especially the perspective that you guys bring, is is priceless. I can't remember if it's the third or fourth verse of this particular song. You know, Chuck and you know Chuck defines who we are as black people. You know what I mean? He said, I mean. The Farrakhan influence is undeniable. He said, if you're blind about your past, you know, then I'll point behind. He's telling you, I'm going to show you. Kings, queens, warriors, lovers, you know, people proud, sisters and brothers. You know, then he says, it's the biggest fear. Suckers get tears when we can top their best idea. He's telling you, we are strong black people. You know, fuck what you heard. You know, fuck what the media is telling you. We're strong black people. You know what I mean? And, you know, Chuck is passionate about it. He, he stands up strong, and, and he's telling you in your face, wake up. You know, this is who we are as people. You know what I'm saying? I mean, nobody outside of maybe KRS, you know, was talking like that back then. No doubt, no doubt. And let's just take a look, you know, 1987. Right. 
You know what I mean? Think about what happened in 1987. I'm just going to give it to you real quick. I'm not going to make everybody think. Mm -hmm. 1987, this is what was going on. Okay. Eric, Eric B. and Rock Kim released Paid in Full 1987. Mm -hmm. BDP released Criminal Minded in 1987. Mm -hmm. LL, Bad, Bigger and Deffer, 1987. Dana Dane, 1987. Schooly D, 1987. Mm -hmm. MC Shan, Down by Law, 1987. Mm -hmm. I mean, it goes on and on. The, the Miami bass sound, 1987. Right. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, you got to think all this was going on in 1987. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? NWA was just starting to release their tracks in 1987. A lot of people don't know that. You know what I mean? A couple of the NWA songs that were on... The straight out of Compton joint um, were already released. Like I told you before, when I was in the Marine Corps, I was out there at swap meets picking up some of their uh, tapes and things of that nature. And Eight Ball and Dope Man, you know what I'm saying? And Boys in the Hood, they were already being released before straight out of Compton even came out. Mm -hmm. You understand what I'm saying? You had Kumo D, How You Like Me Now. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You had all these, you had Ice T with Ryan Pace. You know what I mean? You even had Spoonie G out there. <laughs> you know what I mean? All these, all these rappers were dropping in 1987. Why? Because the social climate at that time was so stagnant for the inner city black male, not just the inner city black male, I'll just say it plain, for, the, for black society as a whole, that everybody was looking for a voice. Everybody had something to say about what was going on from their different perspectives. And you have somebody like a P.E. who's just coming straight at you. Like you said, Scott, tied with that Minister Louis Farrakhan type of uh, information. You know, he, he says it. Some people fear me when I walk this way. Some, some come near me, some run away. Some people take heed to every word I say. Some want to build a posse, some stay away. Some people think that we plan to fail. Wonder why we go under or go to yell. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, so at the end of the day, P.E. is telling you right now that some people are going to hear him. Some people are going to run away from him. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing because he knows he's preaching that message of power. Right. He knows he's preaching, he's preaching that, that message of mental upliftment, mm -hmm. of growth. You yeah. know what I'm saying? It's not just about... You know, you want to hear, some people just want to hear the boom, did the boom, did the boom, did the boom. They're not hearing the lyrics. Mm -hmm. Other, and some people hear the lyrics, but they're not listening to the lyrics. And then those people who are just hearing the lyrics and not listening to them, they get intimidated and they go the opposite direction. Yeah. You follow what I'm saying? I do follow. But the yeah. ones really listening to what he's saying are the ones that he's really talking to. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because those are the ones that if you can wake up one, that one can wake up one. So now you've woken up two. Mm -hmm. And it just keeps going on in that sort of pattern. You know, two becomes four, four becomes eight, eight becomes 16, so on and so forth. You know what I mean? And that's why I think some of the more influential rap albums that came out came out with, you know, a little bit, I don't want to say a dud, but came out with no real critical acclaim, but then after a while and after people started really hearing it, then those album sales picked up. Then the message started to really become clearer and clearer. But this record in particular was incredibly powerful. I mean, as we 
move along and, and, and you know get you know you know work our way down to the last verse. If you look, if you listen hard to the song, Chuck gives you the solution. This record was so powerful, he gives you the solution. He said it right. No in, doubt. He said it right in the middle of the record. Nobody heard it. He said, "Our solution, mind revolution, mind revolution." He told you what you need to do to fix your situation. Mind over yep. matter, mouth and motion. Mind revolution. Corners don't sell it. No, you can't buy it. Can't defy it because I'll never be quiet. Let's start this right. Mind revolution. Chuck was talking about use your mind. Get yourself out of your situation by thinking. Thinking. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. And yeah. at the same time, mm-hmm. you got to, you know, one has to remember that rap at this time, hip hop at this time was just 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And you figure, you know, I just named a couple of the rap albums that dropped in 87. Right. Think about that for a minute. Mm -hmm. So everything's expanding. Everything's growing exponentially. Everything's growing at such a fast pace. And here you have Chuck over in this corner saying, yeah, y'all got that all over there. But listen to what I'm saying over here. And everybody in the industry, everybody outside of the industry started gravitating towards P.E., because of their message, because their message just wasn't some, you know, let's have a good time, let's let's party, let's do this, let's do that. Their message was so substance-based that you had to listen to it if you were a hip-hop fan. You know what I mean? And then slowly but surely, other people started to gravitate towards it that weren't hip-hop fans, like, oh, okay, this guy's damn near a political activist on the mic. Yeah, and he was, and he was, he was represented as being volatile. Right, I mean, PE was incredibly controversial back then. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Weren't they pulling these albums off the shelf? Yes, they were. Right, they were pulling them off the shelf. Yeah, I mean, you know, Chuck wasn't preaching violence. He was preaching thought. You know what I'm saying? He was telling you to think for you know, think for yourself. Wake up. You know what I mean? He said every brother should be every brother's keeper. But you shot with your left while your right was on your beeper. He's talking straight. To your face, yeah. man. I mean, Chuck was incredibly deep, man. Incredibly deep. And the funny thing is, Yo Bum Rush the Show wasn't as politically charged as the next ones that oh. came out. Think oh. about that. That was Think a, about that. That was a monster LP. Monster LP. Just like I said on the last episode, I mean, straight out of Compton, that movie was was cool and everything, but imagine they do a PE movie. Can you imagine? Man, come on now. Yeah. Because I think with Yo Bum Rush the Show, I think somebody got in Chuck's ear a little bit and said, hey, we can't make it too deep. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We, we got to make it, you know what I mean? We can't make it, you know, 80 feet deep. We can only make it 35 and a half feet deep. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? People yeah. got to hear you first. I think what you said before, Scott, about... You know, Flav being the one that would draw people in. Everybody was checking for Flav, and then all of a sudden you get hit by that left cross, which is, you know, Chuck D in that mental. Right. But when you get to, you know, after Yo Bum Rush the show, man, Nation of he gets, come on, man. Mm-hmm. Come on, man. Mm-hmm. Come on, man. I mean, <laughs> it, 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 it just gets dangerous. Yeah. And, I, and, and, and when I think back on it from this perspective, while – Everyone wants to attribute the whole, you know, censorship of music to Ice-T, Maxine Waters, and so on and so forth. I honestly started thinking 
since we've been doing this podcast and especially talking about Yo Bum Rush the Show and then really researching the political climate, the social climate, the economic climate, all the different things that was going on at that time, I'm now of a believer that the industries probably, you know, got together and had a little conversation like, how are we going to shut this kid up? Oh, yeah, definitely. You know what I mean? And then they, and then they used the excuse to start censorship and hip-hop music with Ice-T, Cop Killer, and, you know, Maxine Waters out front pushing that rock. Right. But I, I yeah. really, because if you think about what was going on and what came after this, think about that. Mm -hmm. What came after Yo Bum Rush the show? What movements did they start? Right. Everybody, you know, because think about it. Everybody was wearing, you know, not to besmirch because I, you know, Eric B and Rakim, those are my cats. But everybody was rocking the big dookie chains and, and the big, you know, door knocker earrings. The chicks were rocking. Everything was over gold. You know what I'm saying? Everybody was that, you know, showing that gold. After PE and Yo Bum Rush the show, that gold tone toned down real quick. African medallions. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah, African medallions were everywhere. Sweatshirts mm -hmm. with Africa on them. Hats, Af you know, the Tams, everybody. Right. You know what I'm saying? Even, even, <laughs> and, you know, this is going to really, 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 really date me. But I want to, because you guys are New York, New Jersey cats, I'm going to get you to answer the question so I don't sound so bad. What's up? Remember the New York City crew that used to go around protecting everybody on the subways? Oh, of course, man. Um, what were they called? The, with the red, red Come on. with the red beret. Come on, I'm not yep. that old. I, I'm not that old. I don't really Whatever. know what you're talking about. I got it. 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 It's the Guardian Angels. Guardian man. Angels. That's it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Even was, the Guardian that, Angels. Right. Even the Guardian were, Angels. And that was a good thing when they were created to help out. But, you know, now you kind of look at them as a joke because you got people that are 25, 30-year members of Guardian Angels. And, and it makes you think back, <laughs> makes you think back to Boomerang. You're like... Martin told uh, Tom, what's the, the you know, uh, he was like, leave my girl and leave me for the damn guardian angel. You know how sorry your game got to be for your girl to leave you for a guardian angel? Wow. <laughs> even, even those cats started, you know what I mean, gravitating a little bit more towards that PE thing because I remember they were on Phil Donahue or something of that nature talking to the Guardian Angels, and they started talking about PE, man, yeah. about how they appreciate their message, especially because, you know, Nation of Millions, they started talking about how that was helping to calm a lot of the youth down from a lot of the little petty crimes that they were seeing on the subways and things of that nature. All right, I mean, I'm going to close out this track because just like any of the other ones, I mean, we could talk about this, just this record right here until Christmas if we wanted to, but for me... The end of the last verse is the most powerful. You know, again, this is this is Chuck talking to the, you know, Chuck talking to the kids. He said, I'm on a mission to set you straight. Children, it's not too late. Explain to the world when it's plain to see, to be what the world doesn't want us to be. I mean, Chuck cares. You know what I mean? Like when I when I heard that, I mean, I don't want to say it's rare to hear that an artist cares. But damn, yo, I mean, it's rare when, to hear when an artist cares, right? Especially when the artist is coming from the perspective of, I'm not trying to put something in the kids' head mm -hmm. that's going to, you know, keep them happy for a day, keep them happy for a week to make a hot song. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to put something in these kids' heads to help them grow on. Right. You know, mental expansion 
is what Chuck D and Public Enemy were all about, right. mental expansion. Right. And the media had it wrong. The media had these guys pegged as somebody violent, somebody that needed to be, you know, that we needed to protect our kids against. And here it was proof right here. Chuck cared about the kids. He cared about, you know, black people. He cared about the culture. And that was what Public Enemy was all about. Yo, Chuck, what's the move, man? I was on my way up here to the studio, you know what I'm saying? And this brother stopped me and asked me, yo, what's up with that brother, Chucky D? He's sway nice. I said, yo, the brother don't sway nice. He knows he's nice, you know what I'm saying? So, Chuck, you got a feeling you're turning into a public enemy, man. Now, remember that line you was kicking to me on the way out to L.A. Lounge in Queens while we was in the car on our way to the shop? Well, yo, right now, kick the bass for them brothers and let them know what goes on. What goes on? on? Well, well I put it up on the board. Another rapper shot down from the mouth that roars. One, two, three, down for the count. The beats all of my lyrics, oh yes, no doubt. Cold rock rap, 49 is supreme. Is what I choose and I use. I never lose to a team. Cause I can go solo like a Tyson photo. Make the black girls wanna have my photo. Run in a room, hang on the wall. In remembrance that I rock them all. Suckers. Track number seven. Public Enemy number one. I mean, let me start off by saying this, guys. I got one word to describe this record. Venom. Straight Venom. That's what this record well, is right here. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, look look at look at what he touched on for the samples, right? Mm -hmm. He got AJ Scratch in there by Curtis Blow, right? And then he has Feel the Heartbeat by the treacherous three and, and and blow your head you know what i mean by fred wesley and the jb's i mean so he went deep from the very beginning on letting you know that this track has history this this i'm, I'm coming at you hard mm -hmm. i'm coming at you hard you know what i mean and public enemy number one you know he's just basically telling you from the very beginning that what we're about you know what i mean is not about what everyone else is about Right. I'm coming out to be the public enemy because I am I'm raising this youth up. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm I'm bringing this youth to a to a point of a crescendo, and everything is just going to explode. This record here has all the elements, right? You got Flav in the beginning. That's the ultimate hype man right there. Bringing Chuck in, right? <clears throat> he brings Chuck in, and then just Chuck loses his mind. You know what I mean? Right. He, he goes bananas in the one line. <laughs> In the first verse, he said, because I can go solo like a Tyson Bolo. What does that line right there mean to you? We all know back in 87, right? Tyson was untouchable. Untouchable. No was he 18, 19 years old, heavyweight champion oh, of the yeah. world? Oh, yeah. Man, he was vicious. But he called him a Tyson Bolo. Who was Bolo? Was Bolo. Fight game. Nah, oh, Bolo, <clears throat> Bolo was in uh, uh, End of the Dragon yeah. with... Uh, with uh, oh, Bruce yeah, Lee, right. yeah, he was he was he was the big he was the big cat that was that was knocking everybody out. He punched one dude and knocked fifteen dudes down. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. So just a big, strong cock diesel type cat, right? Who was basically you know what I mean everyone's nemesis because he was whooping ass. Right. He said he's a Tyson Bolo, a combination of Tyson and Bolo in this rap game. You know what yeah, I mean? No so, doubt. Yeah. This 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 record here. I mean, Chuck is going in. Just telling you how vicious he is. I mean, right at the end of this verse here, he said, I'll show you my gun. My Uzi weighs a ton. Why? Because I'm public enemy number one. I'm too heavy for you, cats. On, 
Vaughn Vaughn. Right. You know? <clears throat> Man, listen, I can, I can remember back in the days when this album came on, you know, sitting in the car, me and my boys, or just being somewhere, sitting in a room, you know, like we sitting there getting ready to go to a party or something like that. And this one song came on. It was mesmerizing and it was like hypnotizing because no matter what you were talking, nobody was talking. Everybody's head was just bopping. You had some people with their eyes closed, just head bopping, or just staring into space. Your head's bopping and you're just listening to the lyrics. You're feeding into the lyrics because he's spoon feeding you everything you want to hear at that point through this. And that one little, that, that right there that in the song, mm-hmm. that kept you sucked in like, yo, I don't know what it is about this song, about these beats, but yo, that right there, that this is to me when they started really having good beats back in 87. Not the, not the bubblegum rap beats, you know, that I did enjoy back in the early 80s, but later on when you had these beats come out of there and this one right here was one of those hot beats that just kept your head bopping eyes closed or not you were sucked into this song like yo this right here it was like damn near cult like yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't really want to use that word with chuck in uh in, in public enemy but it was damn near cult like right like, whoa right here this is and it's relating to me and i, I gotta listen to it i gotta have it right i mean to me, to me, it was, you know, you know, Chuck smashed it, number one. But Chuck had a way of telling you over and over and over again how dope he is, right? I mean, you look at the second verse, right? He's like, you know, I'm a nonstop rhythm rock poetry sayer. I'm the rhyme player, the ozone layer. Here's a Bible, so start your prayer. I mean, he's telling you, you, you have no chance. You know what I'm saying? I'm the ozone layer. You know, I'm that layer that sits in between the earth and the sun. <laughs> right, you know right, I mean? right. And then he goes on to say, you know, if they ask you what happened, you would just admit you lied. Um, you just got caught up for going out of order, and now you're serving football teams their water. He's telling you, you're just a water boy. You're not even, you're not even playing. You're not even in the game. <laughs> you're a water right, boy. Right. You're just a water boy. I'm in the game. You're not in the game. You're serving me water. You're not and even then he my- closes it out. Yeah. Right. Then he closes that that verse out. This is my favorite part of that verse. Mm-hmm. Sucker duck MCs, you get me pissed. It's no fun being on the run because they got me public enemy number one. Killed. One, one, one. Come on, man. I mean, again, just serving notice to all the whack MCs that were out at that time. You know what I mean? And he's telling everybody, step aside. Because I'm coming through with something that's better than anything that you're saying out there. Because I'm giving everybody this knowledge. I'm giving everybody this knowledge of self. I'm giving everyone this knowledge of community. You know what I mean? Be responsible. Because don't forget, this was right at the end, you know what I mean? Or in the throes of the crack epidemic epidemic right you know the all the social injustice that was going on at that time this is what he's talking about Mm -hmm. you know chuck is one of those ones man who you knew from this very first lp that what you were about to get from public enemy was going to be different from everybody else in the game Mm -hmm. and the funny thing is here's the funny thing to me to me no one tried to copy Public Enemy's style. You ever notice that? Yeah, I do. Everybody, everybody tried to copy LL, Kumo D. You know, I'm just talking about the rappers at that time, the hip-hop artists at that time. You know, everybody was copying somebody. 
you know what I mean, to a certain degree. Nobody touched public enemy style. To this day, ain't nobody touched public enemy style. Nope. So what you have is you have the ultimate level of respect of staying out of their lane. Mm-hmm. You know, because, in, because, you know, everybody in the hip-hop game, they got something hot over there, okay, we're going to emulate that. You know what I mean? They got something over here, we're going to emulate that. Right. You know what I mean? But, these, but certain cats, because they're so unique and you know they're, you know what I mean, you know that there isn't going to be any way you can emulate it in order to give it justice, because if you try to emulate it, and not give it justice, you're going to be left to the side and being called a clown. Mm. So let me just stay back to the back. You know what I mean? And just, you know, like, you know, I, I said Chuck didn't get in too deep with the double entendres, but Chuck did make you look at different verses and make you put verses together because as he opened it up with the Tyson Bolo, he finishes out in, you know, in verse three, Talking about kicking like kicking like Bruce Lee's Chinese connection. Yeah. So he ties back in to that bolo line mm-hmm. from verse one. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just to let you know, just in case you missed it. Yes, I was talking about Bruce Lee. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I caught that too. I caught that too. And you know, my favorite verse is the last one, actually. The last verse, you know, Chuck kept his street. You know what I mean? Like, what was your favorite? You know, back then, you remember back then when we was kids back in the 80s. You know, it was all about, you know, your mama this, your mama that. What was your favorite my mama or your mama joke? Did you guys have one? Like, the one that just yeah. killed it. The one that just ended the whole, the whole dozen situation. What, what was I your... Liked, go ahead. I liked the one where um, it was uh, your, your mama is so stupid. Um, she, she went... Something about a quarterback. <laughs> it was like something, something about a quarterback. She went... Something about a quarterback. I can't remember it now, but that was, but that was my favorite one. Mm-hmm. How about you, Dad? I know you got one, Dad. No, this one that my dude threw on another cat, because you actually had to know his mother. But they were going back and forth, and he sat up there and said, don't get mad at me because your mother looks like a hair bear. Oh. And I thought, and nobody else knew why I was laughing. And they looked at me and said, well, why the hell are you laughing? And I looked at him, I said, you mean the one on the garbage truck with the yellow afro? And he said, yeah, that one. And I started laughing because I knew this dude's mom was like sit over six feet. And she had had that curl on her hair so long it started turning on. <laughs> so all I could think about was that yellow afro as tall as his mother was with those overalls on from the garbage truck. And I lost that's it. That's stupid. Or, yeah, that's or, stupid. Or, or the, I can tell you, all right, I'll tell you the, the original one that, that your mom's so tall she could step over the Empire State Building and hit her head on the moon. Mm-hmm. That one, that that's a, that was a good one to me back back then too. Did y'all did y'all catch when Chuck when Chuck did that in his song? Did you catch it? No, I must have missed that one. I must have missed right, that check one. Check it out. So this last verse is my favorite one. I must have rewinded this a million times. He said, he said, for all you suckers, liars, your cheap amplifiers, your crossed up wires are always starting fires. Again, he's going at his competition. Chuck is still telling you. Here we are, verse four. He's still telling you how dope he is. You know what I mean? And he's like, your grown-up choirs. Now here's a pair of pliers. Great, you know, get you know, get a job like your mother. Heard she fixes old dryers. That's stupid. I missed that one, yeah. man. Then he wraps it up at the end, known as the poetic, political, lyrical son on public enemy number one.
Question. What does MPE stand for? What do those initials mean? You don't want to ask a comedian no shit like them. <laughs> not like that. That's why I'm asking. You don't want to ask no comedian nothing like that. You must have asked me the wrong thing. I start thinking of bad stuff, and the next thing you know, we get letters from from Maxine Waters and stuff like that. You don't, you don't want to deal with This particular track here kind of you know endeared itself to me because, um, number one, the beat goes hard. The beat on this song goes, right, goes right. hard, probably harder than any other song on the album. You know what I mean? But as far as what it is, it's another statement record. You know what I mean? It's just Chuck and Flav telling you how nice they are, you know, aimed directly and squarely at their competitors. You know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, when you're, when you're, when you're looking at the lyrics, like you said, I mean, as soon as, as soon as they come in, I mean, they're telling you right from the door. You know what I mean? Like you said, Chuck is just reminding him, I am the greatest backup from me. But at the same time, I mean, he's he's also, in my opinion, mm-hmm. he's just breaking it down for you more from how he views everything. You know what I mean? From, from that political lens. Mm-hmm. You know, again, the socioeconomic climate in the inner city at that time wasn't wasn't the best. You know what I'm saying? So, again, he's sitting there just breaking everything down, telling you exactly what's going on in the hood can you recall can you recall anyone in that era talking about scarface or you know those those gangster movies i mean pretty much nobody chuck chuck mentioned scarface in this song straight up you know dealers bugging because they're going to get sprayed they're intimidated your scarface what's going on what's taking place i don't wear gold but i clock ducats he's talking about scarface right i think he might have been the first one to mention scarface well, let's well let's think. Um, Scarface came out in which year? Was it was that was uh, 80, 84. 84? Yeah. So Scarface, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I would I would have to try to you know I have to kind of agree with you about about that. But to me, I mean, I like the way he, he uh, shouts out the DJ. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean because at the end of the day, man, back then. You know, most hip hop consisted of that that rhyme sayer and that DJ. You know what I mean? Because that that was the typical crew. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, and, and, but like you said, man, it's it's how Chuck breaks it down. You know, like where he says, like Alexander Mundy, <laughs> I'm in like Flint. I'm in like Flint. Mm-hmm. Mercedes limousine with a hardcore tent. Now we all know who Alexander Mundy was. And we always we already know why you mentioned Flint, because that's where Monday was. You know what I'm saying? You know, I mean, so I mean, I'm captain of the ship. I make him walk the planks. I mean, he's basically again just reiterating the fact that he really doesn't want to be about what every all the other rappers are about right now. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? He wants to push everybody out of the way. That's the Alexander. What happened? Oh, he looked it up. What happened? Oh, <laughs> what does it mean? What I thought it would be, actually, my public enemy is something something simple. Everybody out there is like, oh, what is MPE? What is MPE? And especially most of the people out there now, they're going to try and look it up, Google it. 
MPE just strictly stands for who they were, my public enemy. Mm -hmm. So they're talking about their group or who they were is my public enemy. Mm -hmm. So that's what MPE stood for. And that's, that's especially as the hook goes, like you said. Mm -hmm. I'm sure those public enemy purists are going to be like, damn, y'all, y'all didn't know what MPE stood for. <laughs> but I'm um, definitely bridging off what John said. I mean, Flav was very integral in this track as well. And there's only like two or three right. tracks where Flav has anything of real substance to say. You know what I'm saying? But... Flav right. always, he always says something that makes me like, what did he say? Like, he said, the sting that stung Yamaguchi Fuyong. Like, who's that, man? Who was Yamaguchi Fuyong? Come on, man. <laughs> Come on. Who Hit him with it. <laughs> I, I really don't know. Who, who is it? I mean, you know, he's, to me, he's shouting out some egg Fuyong. Yeah. It's like, nah, I'm messing around. <laughs> I, don't, I, I, would, I would think that Yamaguchi Fuyong if we were to look that up, might be like a martial artist or something like that. Mm -hmm. Or he was just trying to make it rhyme. You know, he was just making something up to, to close that, you know, to close the end of that verse, you know? Yeah, it, it literally uh, was to me. It, him sitting up there saying that because even the line after that, mm -hmm. you sit up there says, you see where he says, when he bit the public enemy, he only got hung because mm -hmm. his brain was getting bigger than a pregnant toad. His heartbeat stopped because of overload. Right. A lot of that made no damn sense. <laughs> let's let's be real. <laughs> and that was flayed. Made no damn sense. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying? He's talking about somebody attacking him or whatever, and it just the lyrics together just it was it was good. Mm -hmm. But it made no damn sense. That's flayed for you. He was that he was that necessary distraction. Mm -hmm in order to bring people in because Chuck's message was so was so thick. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So he was so he was that dude that was kinda, you know what I mean, putting a little levity on the situation so everybody, you know, you said it yourself, Scott, you know, people start checking for flame and then all of a sudden, you know, Chuck's lyrics are pounded on their head. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I say this, he was a lot softer on this album than he was uh on the rest of the albums that came after this. Mm -hmm. It was like Chuck turned into a harder dude after this album. And it might have something to do with the uh, track we were talking about earlier when, you know, he was talking about she's so sophisticated. That might have been, like, at the beginning of this, Chuck had his heart broken, you know, he was a little softer here, and then after that, he just turned straight to that hardcore political, you know, mm -hmm. uh, uh, strategist or, or anarchist, you might even say. Well, it might be the fact that they were pulling these albums off the shelves. They were, they were pulling his album off the shelf, and that could have turned them angry, too, you know? Yeah, but that's no, what I'm saying. No. They turned into a political anarchist. Not, a, not an anarchist, like, destroying stuff, but mm -hmm. a political anarchist. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, it had the opposite effect of what they wanted by pulling his albums off the shelf. Mm -hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Because that made him come back harder, talking about something like a nation of millions to hold us back. Mm -hmm. Because he knew his message had gotten out. Mm-hmm. Sorry, too late to pace out the tube. Right, right. You know, I mean, seriously. You know what I'm saying? And that's why his second album was way more political than this one. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? He came out kind of, I don't want to say, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, he hit him with an 8.5 on this one. Yeah. You know what I mean? And when he came out with a nation of millions to hold his back, that was a straight dime. Yeah. Well, they were trying to still figure straight out. Straight dime. I agree, man. They were trying to figure out still who they were as a crew in this album. They really... I don't think they had it nailed down yet, you know, because they were still kind of all over the place. They were still, you know, political and all that, but he still had records like, you know, sophisticated and things of that nature where, you know, maybe they were still trying to feel this thing out. 
And then the government and and the record industry was pulling their records off the album, I mean, off the uh, shelf. And like Det said, it had the opposite effect because what the media and what the government didn't really understand was that hip hop at its core is anti-establishment. You know what I'm saying? So you start doing stuff like that, you know, the, the fans, the listeners, you know, those, those, you know, purveyors of the, of the culture, they're going to respond positively toward that. It's going to make them, you know, gravitate towards those albums more than if you did, you know, just nothing at all, you know? No doubt, no yeah. doubt, because yeah. everybody wants what they can't have to begin with, you know what I'm saying? Everyone wants that whole, what's taboo, you know what I'm saying? That's, that's really how, if you look at a lot of different forms of music, even down to jazz, Right. You got to think back. Jazz was, you know, you go into those juke joints listening, you know, that was that was that was the devil's music. And then, of course, rock and roll got that tag. Music has always been, you know, the rage against the machine. You know what I mean? Because it is that ultimate. It's one of the ultimate escapisms because you can get into the, you can get into either the lyrics of music or you can get into just the instrumental side of music. Mm -hmm. And either one of them can sweep you away. Right. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's where Public Enemy was, you know, was, was I, I think, had that, Chuck had that nice, real up-tempo, real loud type of flow. You know what I'm saying? And their beats were always, you know, they weren't gr the grimiest beats, but a lot of their beats were, you know, a lot of their beats were hard. You know oh, what I mean? Real. The kick drums. Yeah, the kick drums. You know, the 808s. The sirens. You know what I'm saying? They always got a siren in it. Yeah. Right? Yep, yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. You know, so, but yeah, man, I mean, that's, but that's good music. And like we had talked about before, with a lot of good hip hop artists, they're no different than a great artist of, in any regard. Mm -hmm. You know, if Chuck was a painter, he would have been, you know, his paintings would have been about struggle and strife. Right. You know, that's just what it is, man. Mm -hmm. If Lay was a painter, what would his paintings be about? Abstract. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he would definitely be abstract cubism yeah, yeah. or something that's real way out there. With you a, know what I'm saying? With a big clock in the middle. Right. Well, you know yeah. he's going to be checking for the time. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? It, yeah, uh, flames that dude, it, it flames that dude you can't leave in a room with a paintbrush and some paint. Because mm -hmm. you walk away and come back. But what the... What you doing here, boy? <laughs> and you know what? I always, when I first started, when, when you know, on Yo Bum Rush the show and everything, when Flay first started with the clock, it took me a minute to catch up to what the clock meant, mm -hmm. what the, the symbolization behind the clock. Mm -hmm. Everybody saw it as just some stupid, gaudy, you know what I mean, piece of something, you know, but it really stood for, do you know what time it is? Right. Do you really understand what Chuck is talking about right now? Are you really awake to what we're doing? track yo boom rush the show one of my favorites one of my favorites because you know 
you know, personally, like Chuck, I'm a huge, huge sports fan, you know. And back then, when I first heard this song, but kind of opened my eyes, I mean, right there in the first verse, Chuck's talking about the 46, right? The Bears 46 front line defense. You know, Chuck always had, you know, the the sports commentary in his songs, you know. And um, I have a little trivia for you. A little bit of trivia for you. Buster Rhymes, right? Do you know where he got his name from? How he got his name? Uh, I forgot the, the, uh, the it was a running back or whatever, right? Yeah. Wasn't it? No. No, yeah. Well, all right. It's, uh, they called him Buster. Uh, what's his last name? Rhymes. His name was Buster. Buster Rhymes, running back for Oklahoma. I believe it was Oklahoma. All right. Oklahoma. And Chuck D gave him his name. But Chuck D was like, your name is Buster Rhymes. Playing off that dude's nice. name, the running back from Oklahoma. Sweet. I mean, you, I had no you idea. You got to look at it. A lot of people. A lot of people that have nicknames out here, they come from different things or things that they're connected to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. People get their names out here seriously from different things, and it, it's amazing to hear some of the stories of how these people yeah. got their names and stuff. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, I would love to, to, to know how Flavor Flav got his name. I seem like I'm on this Flavor Flav kick right now, but, you know, like, the end of the verse, one of the things that I like about this particular track here, it's still... It's still, you know, Chuck and Flav telling you how nice they are. But if you if you notice at the end of the first track, right, it seems like, you know, Chuck still has a problem with the rap game as a whole. You know, he says, for the suckers at the door, if you're up and around, for the suckers at the door, we're going to knock you back down. I think right there, that's a metaphor for the rap game. We just knocked the door off the hinges and you're going to let us in whether you want to or not. We're here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I, I, w- I would definitely have to agree with you. I mean, but to me, this whole track, I mean, he goes in four verses deep. You know what I'm saying? And he's basically, everything is about leave me alone and quit basically profiling me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? In my opinion, he's talking to the cops. He's talking to the system. He's talking to everybody with respect to the whole social injustice of what's going on with the inner city black male at this time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And not just the inner city black male, but black folks all together. You know what I mean? He's talking to the cops, searching my body for fucking what? Because my gun's just for fun and my knife don't cut. I was just about to say that, John. You had you beat me to it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, so he's already, he's, he's already putting it out there to you that he understands that this is what a lot of people are going through. So he's speaking on it because a lot of people can't. And now fast forward 20 some odd years later and look at the climate that we're still in and dealing with, you know, police brutality. You know, he's talking about this back in 1987 and we're still dealing with that today, you know, because people didn't want to really hear what this little hip hop guy was saying. Yeah. This just this hip hop guy. He don't know what the heck he's talking about. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and we're still dealing with it right now. I mean, anytime you're anytime as a society, as an individual, as a culture, as a system, as an employer, whatever that group is, if they fail to recognize their own inadequacies and their own injustices and their own wrongs. It's only going to perpetuate itself and get and become increasingly worse. Is I mean, it's, that's just the long and short of it. You know what I mean? And here's what we have now. Right. You know, you don't think you don't you don't think all these cats getting shot weren't getting shot before, mm-hmm. but before the cop was lying and it wasn't a videotape. Yeah. You know, if you think about it realistically, you know that crap slowed down mm-hmm. because of all these cops getting getting caught. You know, this thing was running rampant, man. I follow Chuck D on Twitter. And um, he actually, Chuck, he actually follows Light Podcast Twitter account. You know, shout out to Chuck. But um, he's angry on Twitter. If you ever listen or read any of, of Chuck's Twitter postings, 
he's angry and it seems like, you know, and rightfully so, it's just a big I told you so. Anytime another incident, another, you know, another incident involving law enforcement occurs, obviously wrong, Chuck is just on a big I told you so. You know, and then it goes to what you just said, John. You know, he's been saying this since 1987, trying to wake us up to this, you know, since 1987. And here we are, 2015, and we're still going through it. At the end of the day, like they always say, if you don't learn from your past, you're doomed to repeat it. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I grew up with the knowledge of is that wisdom can come from a lot of different sources and from a lot of different people. Oh, for sure. And oftentimes, it's the person that you're not checking for. It's the person that you're not paying attention to mm -hmm. that's speaking, the, that's, that's really telling the truth. Mm -hmm. You know, but they're just so far ahead of us or so far ahead of that individual who's listening that they're just not being receptive to it. Mm -hmm. Again, this hip-hop guy, you know what I mean, talking about what was going on, but nobody wanted to listen. Imagine if, they, if people would have taken this record, this, this particular track, seriously in 1987 do you think we would still be here right now and as and when i say people i'm talking about those in charge of the system you know what i mean those those policy makers those politicians if they really took to heart what this track right here was saying do you think we would be right here today i don't think you know they really thought that they were going to sit up there and stop us from listening to it i think they might have thought that oh, we'll slow this down because you know this might rile the natives up but we're not going to be able to stop them, but we may slow them down. And all they've done all these years, and what, what I've said before, what, you know, what makes me laugh is sometimes you see on the news, these people don't understand that, okay, you know, as African-Americans that have sat up there and been abused over these years, mm -hmm. and people are sitting, and it, and it kills me because there was a kid that put it on my page the other day, and he sat up there and said, and this is a white kid telling me, that the reason why, you know, things are the way they are is because black people won't sit up there and just move on and they keep a chip on their shoulder and the people, the Al Sharptons and the Jesse Jacksons keep it going for the gain of their own popular gain and wealth. And instead of getting people together and getting out here and realize and understand, be happy that you you have freedom, you have life and you're alive and everything else. And I had to hit the guy back. I said, I didn't know um, you actually were the authority on how blacks lived mm -hmm. or how blacks uh, were raised and grew up. I said, it shocked me for this guy to know this and say this, that this is going on. He was wrong. <laughs> it shocked me for him to sit up there and come at me and say that and say it's about Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson. Let me explain something to those people that listen now. Not everybody black follows Jesse Jackson. Not everybody black follows Al Sharpton. Not everybody black follows Minister Farrakhan. Not everybody black follows some of these leaders that you sit up there and you target and say, oh, you guys are all on this side. You blindly follow this person like this and you follow this and that. No, not everybody follows uh, Obama either. Well, President Obama, no, but not everybody follows them. But the thing is, for over these years, we've been oppressed so long that when you sit up here and say, well, oh, you shouldn't have been resistant to the police. You know what? You can kiss my ass against the police face down on the pavement. I've also been on the other side of that working in law enforcement. So don't tell me, you know, oh, 
you know, don't be like this, don't be like that, or you guys are provoking this and that. No, there's good and bad in everyone, and you have good cops and you have bad cops. Mm -hmm. And it's just like Chris Rock said, there's a difference. You have niggers, and then you have black people. The niggers have got to go. Bottom line, niggers means ignorance. That's all it is. It's not a color. It's not a race. It's ignorance. So you have black niggers. You have white niggers. You have Spanish niggers. You have all different races, all different kinds of niggers all over the world. Those are the ones that have to go because they are nothing but ignorant people. And what you have left is intelligent black people, intelligent white people, intelligent Spanish people, intelligent every race in a melting pot that gets along. So to sit up here and tell me or say, we're going to sit up here and we're going to stop the movement. Now, you can't stop the movement. The only thing you did was change it. And I appreciate Chuck D for putting this out. I don't know if there's any much more we can say about this track. One of the things, one of the last things I want to say, you know, about this particular track here, Yo Bum Rush the Show, actually is at the end, the end of verse three. I mean, Chuck had, Chuck had morals, man. He had convictions. You know, he had, you know, in his head, you know, uh, a, a way that things were to be done, you know? So if you look at that last verse, he said, get that sucker who shot that gun, whip his monkey ass till it ain't no fun. You ever, I mean, do you guys see the pattern here? I mean, Chuck is oh, yeah. obviously against dumb shit. You know what I'm saying? You know, let's, right. go to the, exactly. let, let's go to the club. Let's have fun. You know what I'm saying? Whoever's out there busting off, you know, somebody get his ass out of here, please, because that's not what we're about. You know what I'm saying? Even though we have a message no here, doubt. we're not taking it that far. We're, exactly. And I love the fact that you brought that up because it illuminates the fact that Chuck, when he's speaking, and he's speaking so aggressively, and he's speaking about people taking action, he's speaking about people taking action mentally. Right. He's speaking about using your mind in order to get yourself out of whatever your situation is. Mm -hmm. Whatever you're trying to change, you know what I mean? You don't have to get it with your muscle. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You get it with your mental. You know, and I'm very happy that you brought that up before we close this out, because if you didn't, I was. <laughs> <laughs> testing one, two, testing one, two. The house is now on fire. Spread the walls, y'all. Everybody get somebody. We don't want anybody left with nobody. Because you know what time it is. It's time to get busy. And when it's time to get busy, you know what you got to do. You got to raise the room because it's all on fire. Not all right next track raise the roof now this track here i don't know guys i could be wrong i could be wrong right i think this is pe's deepest record i think this one more than any of the other tracks Public Enemy is going after the rap game again as a whole. Back in 87, I mean, Run DMC was still kind of at the forefront, right? I mean, one of their most popular tracks at the time, Run's House, Run was basically telling you, this is my game, this is my situation. You know, I'm the king of this. You guys are just participating because I let you. This is Run's House. And I think Chuck had an issue with that, you know, or maybe he was using that record you know, to kind of, you know, you know, knock the door down and basically say, look, you know, if you look at the first verse, he said, raise the roof because it's all on fire, but done by scratches, so save that water. 
This jam is packed, so I just figure all we need is the house to get bigger. I think he's talking about Run's house right there. He's talking about that. He, you know, he's using that metaphor to go after the rap game as a whole and say, look, you know, you got to make room for public enemy. If not, we're going to take it. What do you think? So you're saying shots fired? I think, it's, I don't know. I mean, they were label mates, right? I mean, public enemy was Def Jam. Run's house, you know, Run DMC was Def Jam, right? I'm pretty sure they were right, Def Jam. Right. I don't think maybe, I don't think he was going after Run, you know, directly. I just think he was going, he was using that metaphor that Run created. And he said, Run's house is my house. It's Run's house. He's basically saying, look, Okay, cool, it's your house, but look, make the house bigger so that P.E. can have a spot, you know? I got you, I got you. Mm-hmm. You know, but it, but like you said, he's always going against the status quo, mm-hmm. whether it's the social injustice or rather it's the industry. I mean, he even went after swatch watches. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, he goes, then the freak of the week makes you lose control and swatch for a watch. Yeah. <laughs> so you'll know the time. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I mean, so he was always going after what everyone else was taking as that materialistic route. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He was trying to bring the rap game back in, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is and this is the cut that he was trying to do it on. Right, right. He also acknowledged the fact that, you know, everybody might not understand him or might not understand P.E.'s message. You know, he said, the puzzle on your face shows as you sweat, but your body keeps moving with no regrets. Basically saying, look, nobody's seen anything like us. You know, maybe you're not ready for my message. That's why, you know, your face is all scrunched up. You know, you're listening to what I'm saying. Right. But you're still dancing anyway. You know what I'm saying? Because the song is hot. You know, the song is dope. You're going to get me something. I got you. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. And and he's telling you, if you got a problem with it all, I vibe, I vibe with everybody. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? In school, I'm cool throughout the week. When the weekends come, I'm down with the Greeks. Frat brothers known across the seven seas. Fly ladies of the 80s, sororities, Zeta, Deltas, AKAs. Mm-hmm. Women that keep me in a daze. Mm-hmm. Five, six for boys in the mood. With the Kappas and the Qs and the, the groove. You know what I mean? You talking about the Step Show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you talking about the you, I'm down with everybody. So if you don't like me, that's cool. Because everybody who's who knows what time it is, who knows, you know what I mean? And he's... I like how he tied in the fact that you, if you understood what he was saying, you understood that he was talking about going to college. Yeah. Because everything that he's talking about in there, you can't be a member of any of those societies unless you're in college, you know, or have gone through college. Let me put it that way. Right. And he talked about the fly ladies of the '80s, the sororities. Yeah. The true fly ladies, the ones that, the ones that are in college, the ones that, the ones that are getting educated. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because in the end, you know what I mean. You want that woman smart because that's who ends up educating them children. Right. You know, don't have kids with stupid women. You'll have stupid kids. Ain't that the truth? I maintain, I maintain that, and John, that Chuck was going after the rap game. You know, he said, but the style gets wild as state of the art, dazzling in science, bold in nerve, but giving my house what it deserves. Yo, he's telling you hip hop needs us. Hip hop needs Public Enemy, but he's also saying it's Chuck's house now. Giving my house what it deserves. It's a change of the guard. Am I wrong about that? What do you think? No, nah, man. I, I I think you're on point. You know what I mean? Like he said, he's 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 kicking it in the door. You know what I mean? He's coming straight through the door. Mm-hmm. Expand my power on the hour. Mm-hmm. Make you all behold from the slammer swing a hammer like the mighty Thor. God of thunder, you'll go under. 
mm. then you all applaud. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, so he's like you said, man. He's serving notice that I'm here too. But don't forget, we we already mentioned how heavy '87 was with all the different LPs that came out from some serious artists, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? So he knew. You know what I mean? And some of these artists were label mates like you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. So he so he knew what was going on. Right. He knew he had to come hard. He knew what he was up against. He he understood the competition. And at the same time, his message was to try to unite and try to and try to open up that ear so he could grab that youth. Mm -hmm. You know, this was purposeful. This this really wasn't by accident. You know what I'm saying? Nah, couldn't nobody hold He up definitely this. meant to do it. Right, could yeah, nobody hold Chuck back. Meant to do it. I'm gonna show you something. I'm gonna show you something, John. This is there was a precursor in this record to your favorite, what I think is your favorite Public Enemy album. He said, "And for real, it's the deal." And the actual fact, what did he say? It takes a nation of millions to hold me back. There it is. <laughs> that is that is my favorite PE. Yeah. That is my favorite PE album. Yeah, one hundred percent. That is my favorite. Yeah. What's your favorite album? That is it. This one, or is it Take a Nation of Millions, or which one? All of them. <laughs> you gotta say it like that, because you gotta take a deep pause when you 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 gotta when you saying the whole album selection is is some of your your favorite work. So you gotta sit up there and you gotta take that pause, like oh, <laughs> let them know. Listen, you make it sound like I'm about to say something real deep at the end of this, and you just hit them with all of them. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't expect you to name one particular album. I know Public Enemy is definitely your favorite group, man. And I can't disagree with you on that at all. I mean, Chuck's message was, was so money, right? His message was so money, and we, was so, we were so in need of an artist like that. I mean, he's saying things like, nothing wrong with the song to make the strong survive. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's Chuck right there all the way, man. Let me tell you something. Raise the roof, my behind. I know Flea. Oh, no. Flea owes me, too. Oh, no. What happened? No, no, come on, Dad. I'm trying to warn you, Dad. Okay. Don't let Flea come off uh, your house. Don't do that. Flea owes me. Come on. All right. We used to be graffiti artists together back in the days. That's actually how Flea got his name. He was a graffiti artist named Flea Flea. That was his tag or whatever. And he started hanging out with Chuck D. They was at uh, Delphi University. He started hanging out. So I go up there. We sitting up there doing graffiti one night. Flay stood up there. He think he got jokes. He sprayed spray paint inside my beer bottle. And you know, back then, everybody drank them Heineken. So your bottle's green. You can't see inside of that. Man, I was throwing up for like three days. I was like, that damn Flay. And all he kept doing at the end of it, he's like... <laughs> And he was spitting on me when he kept doing that. I was like, damn, Flake, you, you, your RG3 lookalike, you gonna sit up there and do that to me. Okay, okay, payback, Flake. Flake, you're wrong, man. I owe you for that one. You're wrong, man. Mm-hmm, uh-huh, yeah, mm-hmm, Mr. Drayton. Yeah, I know your real name, your government name. Mm-hmm, Flake, you're wrong, man. You're wrong. Oh, you're 56 years old and still ain't apologized yet. You're wrong, Flake. Did you say RG3 lookalike? Yeah, he looked like RG3 after RG3 done played a whole season down there at the Redskins. You, after the whole, that the line just let him get beat up. That's Flea. I don't even know what to say to that. You ain't got nothing to say. Listen, nah, Flea done said it all. I'm sitting there looking at RG3's picture, and you're right. They look alike, man. They're like they're distant cousins or something. Yeah. Listen, man, I don't care if he's RG3 or Flavor Flea. 
Them women on Flavor of Love was desperate for some fame because they kissed him. That's you know, Flav looked like that little dark line underneath your nuts. It's just, oh. <laughs> that's Flav right there. That's <laughs> that's Grundle. <laughs> that's what you call him, Grundle. You ain't right, Dad. You're wrong, Flav. You're wrong, man. No, nah, you wrong, Dad. You wrong. <laughs> I'm just telling you. I'm telling you how I know Flav. No, I, so, I believe. Listen, you. at least Flav. I, I you didn't have to apologize, Flav. Buy me a six pack of Heineken and send it to me here at the station. And we go, Flay. That's all you got to do. Send me a six pack of Heineken and we don't have to argue and talk, you know. We don't even have to talk about it, man. We can hug it out. I'll, I'll crack one of the beers for you. But you're wrong, Flay. You're wrong. Mm. William Drayton Jr., you're wrong. Yeah, you're crazy, man. You're crazy. You know, I can't wait for the day that we cover an album. Or we do a, a, a have a discussion of some sort about an artist, and you don't have some type of backstory about how they did you wrong. I can't wait to do that. Well, actually, I don't. It, there's there is somebody that I'm not going to talk about. Wait a minute, no, he's locked up now. Yeah, I can talk about Shook Knight. <laughs> See, you know, hey, I'm not going to talk about if Shook gets out. Remember, I didn't say it. Y'all put me up to it. Shook mm-hmm. <laughs> make people disappear. Uh-uh. <laughs> and mess around and hide the. He, should make you disappear and hide the murder weapon at your own house and got the cops looking elsewhere. Suge's a bad man. That is true. Suge, I'm just playing. It's these light-skinned boys put me up to this shit. Yeah, I'm just playing. Why that always got to come back to us, man? <laughs> right, exactly, man. I mean, don't get me wrong. I got your back and everything, but come on, man. You ain't got to make me test my chest to get your back. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I like that. <laughs> Mega Blast. This is the actual. This is actually the last track where there was actual lyrics. Um, Mega Blast was an incredibly important song to me. It's about the drug game and Chuck's disdain for the drug game and the ills of the drug game. Um, Mega Blast is obviously talking about heroin in this particular track here, and um, I don't know what else to say about it other than it, it goes. Incredibly hard, man. Talking about heroin and crack, you know, and the effects of heroin and crack on 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 us as black people, you know, and the fact that Chuck decided to make a song. I keep saying Chuck, but it's Public Enemy collectively together decided to make a song like this to address the issue of drugs back in the 80s was an incredibly powerful and incredibly responsible thing to do. I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. Mm-hmm. I mean. The track is short. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the track is real short. And the first time I heard Yo Bum Rush the show, and then this track came on, I, you know, I looked at my, you know, I looked at my tape player, like did my tape snap because it was over so quick. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. And then I rewound it, and then I listened to it again, and this was right out there at the same time with White Lines. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So. You know, again, just talking about that, talking about that white explosion, man. I mean, people, people really, until you look at like, you know, the Mel Marcos thing, you know, the cocaine cowboys thing, that was really the first glimpse that I would say people who were of the age of, let's say, 
maybe 40 and younger, first got their real good look at the drug traffic gang. Mm -hmm. I mean, because, you know, me, myself, in 87, I had to do a term paper for high school. And for it was, it was for English class. So I did a term paper entitled, Can Cocaine Conquer America? So I remember reading these articles, the Time Magazine article called Paradise Lost, which was, you know, uh, a dynamite expose on the uh, cocaine explosion down in uh, Miami, Florida. I mean, it was, it, was part, it was the cornerstone to my term paper. This was back in high school. Mm-hmm. And, you know what I mean, why I, the reason why I picked that topic was Miami Vice was on. I mean, this, these were all the things that were out there right now. Scarface was out. I mean, that, that cocaine culture had permeated just as, just as much, if not even more, than what Public Enemy permeated the culture after they came out. You know what I'm saying? Because it took a hold of almost the entire 80s, from like 82 on. Right. Chuck was like, what, 25, 26, and 87? Yeah, I think so. So so five years, so he's 18, 19. But when you're 18 years old and you see whole neighborhood, you have a sense of understanding of really what's going on around you. I'm not saying a high sense, but you have a strong sense. Right. And you're, and, and, and you're seeing everything topple. In your neighborhood, you're seeing the, uh, the deterioration throughout the country. You know what I'm saying? And, and so he's at that age in 82, 83. And then come 87 when he drops this out, mm-hmm. there you go. You know what I'm saying? You know, just bridging off what you're saying, you know, John, about, about Chuck D, man. I think more than any other, I would say probably other than KRS, Chuck took his position serious, right? He used his platform to... At the end of the day, do everything that he could to improve the life of, of black people. He loved us. He talked about politics. He talked about, you know, getting your mind right. He talked about knowledge. He talked about drugs and, you know, leaving that shit alone. Talked about guns. I mean, I don't know, I don't know if there's another hip-hop artist that took his position as seriously as Chuck. You know what I mean? And songs like this just prove my point more and more. No doubt, no doubt. And and the other and the other part about it is this, you know, when you look at the song, the song is entitled "Mega Blast," right? Right. And the song is in, is is incredibly short, <laughs> mm-hmm. just like a mega blast. Yeah. You, I mean, you follow what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, so when you when you look at the symbolism there, he's also telling you because people were ODing on those mega blasts. You know, this is what this is how short your life is. Right. As long as it's track. Mm-hmm. I didn't even think about it that way. That's an excellent point. I think that's exactly what the point of that was. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I mean, he's Chuck is breaking it down, and he puts it at the very end, at the very end, because now it's I got I got just this little bit more time left in order for me to put something in your ear, so I got to make it quick and I got to make it poignant and I it got to be real succinct. And here it is, Mega Blast. Boom. Yeah. Leave that crack alone. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Chuck reached us, you know, like a ton of bricks. Like a ton of bricks, man. A, a lot of people don't look at uh, the crack era for what it was. Crack, and I'm going to look back, because I remember a lot of the, the cocaine era, all of that stuff, and people might say, oh, that's not positive to talk about. Yeah, listen, it was out there, it happened. And I remember 
Crack was a destroyer. Crack was released into the urban cities, the ghettos, and the neighborhoods, and all it did was destroy people, destroy families, destroy the property value, destroy the stores around it, destroy everything it came in contact with. And I'm so happy to this day that crack is not the animal that it was back in the early 90s that it was, you know, that it is now. It's, it's pretty much almost non-existent now. I mean, people still do it now as far as I know, but it's not anything like what it used to be back in the early 90s. Mm. So for Chuck to put this out and put out how, you know, you know what they saw and what they've seen on the block. Like I had a homeboy who's out on the block. He sells more crack than they sell fish at the dock. That lets you know around that time, crack was one of the most popular drugs out there. And it moved like that because they would go smoke it. 15, 20 minutes later, they're coming back, like G Money said, with three, four more people with more money trying to get back chasing that high. And to put this out there, that showed you around that time, yeah, he was a genius. He's trying to tell people this in, you know, they said if they want to take this off the shelf and they want to do this and that. This was an anti-drug message before there were anti-drug messages, before you had that crack you know, put the, uh, the the crack on the side of the pan and the egg falls in and say, yeah, this is, this is drugs. This is your brain on drugs. Before they had that, this is what it was. Yeah. This right here was a message to the world. This is how bad this shit can get. Get that shit! All right, next track. <clears throat> Terminator X speaks with his hands. I mean, we spent the last hour or so talking about Chuck and Flav and, and the message and, and, you know, public enemy as a whole and what they meant to the culture and whatnot. But, um, I mean, let's be honest up here. I mean, without Terminator X, you know, providing the backdrop, providing the soundtrack to what Chuck D and Flavor Flav was bringing, obviously it wouldn't have been as effective. So I think at this time, you know, we should give Terminator X his due respect and let our review ride out with this instrumental. like to close out on a positive note with our shout outs also so i'd like to say this positive yeah, quote right. to the world 
life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we react to it. Make sure that if life throws you a curveball, you duck. Now, as far as my shout outs, I'd like to give a shout out, a birthday shout out to my little cousin down in Georgia, Deja Singleton. Happy birthday, little mama. Hey, make sure you keep studying hard in school, all right? Keep them boys away. Don't make me come down and choke somebody. All right. And I'd like to give a shout out to my cousin who actually uh, gave his website. Uh, you can see, you can go to his website for some of his artwork. www.cgracefineart.com. He has a lot of good artwork, and he's, a lot of his uh, artwork was actually featured in the Best Man Holiday. So make sure you go out there and uh, look on that website, pick some of that artwork up. He's a good artist, great artist from New Jersey. That's my cousin there, all right? Hey, listen, uh, you know, thanks for all the comments and everything. Everything's been stepping up, you know, tremendous response coming in on all uh, different levels of social uh, media. And one particular question caught our eye this week, and it was from Ricky Bishop. The question was posted on the Like Podcast page on Facebook, and uh, basically Ricky just posed an interesting perspective on how there seems to be a lot of correlation between the companies that own media groups, as well as those same companies investing heavily in the private or uh, for-profit uh, prison complex. So what I did was I took a quick look at that, Scott. And what I found is that there are some correlations there. There are two particular articles that uh, I think we should go ahead and post on the website because I think this topic, as I did a you know a little quick research on it, seems like it des- it deserves a little bit more depth. What do you think? I agree 100%, man. I mean, first, when that question came in from, uh, from Ricky Bishop, it was like a slap in the face. Not in a bad way, but in a good way, almost like what we've been talking about on the episode, like wake up, you know? And admittedly, this is something that I haven't really been looking at with any type of, you know, seriousness, and I should have. I mean, once you sent me these articles, I mean, I don't really know what to say, John. I mean, I think it's something that we should look at seriously for the show. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I mean, but, you know, and I, I think, you know, just the touch upon it right now you know when you when you look at it on the surface right since rap has came about hip-hop since the 70s mm-hmm. you know it has gone through a metamorphosis and we've seen the whole hip-hop game splinter in two around the mid 90s and that's when you started seeing rap and then you started seeing hip-hop. You started seeing the delineation between the two. Mm-hmm. And so I would I would say that on this particular topic right here with uh, hip-hop and a direct correlation to the companies that, you know, publish hip-hop as an entertainment and that's also investing heavily in, you know, for-profit uh, prisons, the name of the companies itself, you know, kind of perked up my ears to be like Viacom, Time Warner, you know what I mean? There are there are a number of companies that are, you know, the Vanguard Group. Um, there are a number of companies that are mentioned here that, uh, you know, it definitely deserves 
some further analysis before we can comment fully, but it definitely brings about a good question that when you look at the transformation of hip-hop around the 90s and around the privatization of prison, you see a common denominator, and that is that whole gangster culture and that whole, you know, do a crime and go to jail being glorified versus... You know, when you look at, like, when we had talked about before with Jay-Z, you know what I mean, and Nas and things of that, and, and those particular artists, the conversation about the street wasn't coming the street because it's, it's lovely out here. The conversation was, this is the story of the street. Stay away and get your mind right and get educated. Right. And when we saw that splinterization of hip-hop, you know, and it correlates to that, you know, privatization of prisons, I mean, it, 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 like you said, Scott, it was a slap in the face in a good way. And what a good time for that to happen right. when we were doing this analysis of Public Enemy. And, and it didn't happen in the first, you know, when we did part one, you know what I mean? Yeah. But as the album took us on that journey, as we got inter introspective with the album mm -hmm. and looked at it again as that art form that we know hip hop to be, mm -hmm. it brought about, you know, the question from Ricky Bishop. Mm -hmm. And then it brought about our looking into it, and, and here we are now. You know, I mean, there are some correlations there that, you know, you don't need us to do it. You know what I mean? Please right. drive the conversation on our Facebook page. Right. You know, this is, this, is, this is a great conversation for offline. Absolutely. I mean, looking through this article, John, and having our offline discussions, I mean, it, it can't be a coincidence. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm not making any accusations. You know, I'm going to do my due diligence as well with, with regard to research. But, um... I think it opens up a huge can of worms and it opens up a lot of different questions, you know, with regard to, you know, what types of artists are these big studios looking for now? If this is even halfway true or even a small percentage of it is true, I mean, it has a direct impact into the type of talent and the type of artists that these big studios are willing to invest in. I mean, the big, you know, obviously return on investment is everything. So. If these guys are more willing to turn to, you know, acts like a Chief Keef or Bobby Smurda, as opposed to somebody that's on a more positive tip, you know, this could be the explanation to that, you know? No doubt. Mm -hmm. No doubt. And when, you, and when you take just a cursory look at it, one of the first things that you notice, um, and it, it, everyone already knew it, but it's just, you know, now it's you, for me, I look at it with a different lens, right. and that's the whole sagging pants culture. Yeah. Because the sagging pants culture was a jailhouse culture, mm -hmm. and that was for how homosexuals made themselves available, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying, to the inmate population that wanted to do that. You know what I mean? So right, right. to bring that into hip-hop, and now to look at it from with that subject matter as the starting point as to is there a correlation there? Not just from a, a happenstance type of perspective, but is there a correlation as a driven, this is what was manifested type sort of perspective? You follow what I'm saying, Scott? Oh, absolutely, 100%. 100%. I mean, my mind is spinning around like crazy right now. I almost want to do another, like, emergency podcast right now <laughs> just, <laughs> just talking about this topic right here i think it deserves that i think it deserves that and um you know like you said you know ricky bishop we definitely appreciate you know the insight we definitely appreciate you commenting and interacting with us on the facebook page on that much appreciated no doubt no doubt mm -hmm. and uh scott you know i i have to <laughs> have to tell a funny story this week uh -huh. i uh <laughs> You know, I was at my W-2 hustle, and 
I, crazy thing, man. I hurt my back. So deadhead, you know, offline said, you know what, John, you need to try yoga. One of my former football parents who I coach, he's been coming around my football practices this year and he's a yoga instructor. So I, you know, and I have, and I also have an IG friend uh, and her name is at Lady Dork and she's a yoga instructor also. So I think I got to give this yoga thing a try, you know, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> at Lady Dork on Instagram. Let me tell you, she posts some of the most inspirational and incredible videos. And one of the best part of, parts about her is that she's a PhD chemist. You know what I mean? She has, she has a great head on her shoulders and she's also trying to uplift people from a mental, spiritual, physical level. The same way PE, that's why I wanted to mention her during this episode. The same way, you know, PE was lifting us up back then when they were releasing what they were releasing to try to capture again, the use of, you know, the inner city black use. So, you know, uh, mind, mind expansion through, you know, being able to manipulate your body. Like I said, I hurt my back, so I gotta give this yoga thing a try. Right. Uh, but check out at Lady Dork on IG if that's something that you're interested in because uh, she definitely puts it down flat. Hey man, I've been looking at some of these pictures and um, she, put, she puts her body in these yoga positions that don't look natural, man. Are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> well, listen, if I can uh, re- re- you know, alleviate some of this tension on my back, if that's what's going to take, then yes. <laughs> uh, you know, as, as Jay used to say when I was in the Marine Corps, Sometimes you got to crawl through the crap to smell the roses. You know what I'm saying? No, I hear you on that. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, I just want to take this time, you know, to, to actually, you know, shout out. you know, one of my biggest fans, one of my best friends, my sister Carrie. She, she goes through our episodes, John, in debt with a fine-tooth comb. And there is no more staunch critic than my sister Carrie. And let me tell you, man, she's, she's given us the – the green light and the thumbs up. She thinks this is a fantastic show, man. So, you know, for me, I mean, that's a huge, huge, huge lift. Um, I also want to shout out hiphopgoldenage.com, you know, the magazine that's been showing us nothing but some, you know, sincere love since the day we started this podcast. So the guys over there that, that, that um, run that outfit, hiphopgoldenage.com, definitely check them out. They have a lot of great articles and things, but we definitely appreciate it. They're, they're the ones that, you know, along with podcasts such as these, that's keeping it, keeping it real and, uh, and keeping hip-hop where it belongs. Absolutely. So y'all have a great day, great week, and see you on the next show. Peace. Brothers and sisters! Brothers and sisters! I don't know what this world is coming to! Yes! The rhythm, the rebel, without a pause, I'm lowering my level. The hard drama, where you never been, I'm in. You want styling? You know it's time again. D, the enemy, telling you to hear it. They praise the music, it's time to play the lyrics. Some say no to the album, the show, bum rush the sound. I made a year ago, I guess you know, you guess I'm just a radical. Not on sabbatical, yes, to make it critical. The only part of your body should be part of it too. Path of power on the hour from the rebel of you. Hey, yo, Chuck, man, I'm Never play me on the mix. They just okay me now. Knowing they grow when the clock in my soul is no sneaking and taking everything that the brother owns. My calling card recorded and audited. Supporter of Chessamart, loud and proud, kicking live. Next poet supreme, loop for truth, bazooka, the scheme. Flavor, a rebel in his own.
Yo, yo, yo.